On the point of that knife, a man's life is at stake. I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. Watch them and pray, for someday you may become one of them. Twelve men with the smell of violent death in their nostrils. What's the matter with you guys? You're letting them slip through our fingers. Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? Hello there and welcome to Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, here with my good friend and film critic, Will Piper. Will, hello there. Hi, Billy. Seen any good movies lately? Uh, you know, I I, I really haven't seen any Here's lately. the big dirty secret. We do two podcasts at a time sometimes, and mm-hmm. that's what we're doing tonight, so we're still on the same time frame where Will just didn't watch anything this week. Yeah, I was just asked that question an hour ago, and I didn't have a good answer, and <laughs> I haven't watched any movies in that past hour, so... You did lead me to watch something that you've seen before. Maybe you didn't watch it this week, but you had me watch a documentary. I actually did watch it this week. Okay. So I did see that. I didn't even think of it. Well, why don't you talk about it? Uh, it is a movie called Visions of Light, and it came out, or I want to say, came out in 1992, which is kind of interesting. Um, because it is a, do- it's a documentary about the art of cinematography. Yeah. It's, it's very thorough and mm-hmm. it's, I'm amazed at the number of people interviewed. Yeah. And the thing is, unlike, like say, you know, you get those movie things on, on CNN, you know, they do the celebrating the movies and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll have, like, they'll talk about, um, you know, oh, here's, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction. And then they'll have. You know, Charlie Sheen say, I saw Pulp Fiction. And that's the level of, that's <laughs> yeah. the level of yeah. comment that yeah, you that get. Movie was yeah. good. Oh, that was a good movie. But this movie, because it's about cinematography, the people they talk to are almost strictly cinematographers. So they're either talking about their own movies or they're talking about cinematographers of the past who are no longer around to talk. And this movie starts with, you know, film one. I mean, essentially how originally there were guys cranking a camera. And, you know, it goes through, you know, the silent era and the rise of color and but film noir. In, in a way that is, in a way that is like tremendously useful and, and like insightful. It For is. instance, something that I didn't realize was that all of these cinematographers view the advent of sound as the worst thing that ever happened to, right. to the beauty of, of cinematography. A lot of them say if movies could have gone, say, another 10 years before sound had developed, it could, because the... The very late silent films, I mean, they just had an amazing look to them because with no sound, you could move the camera wherever you wanted. You could do all sorts of things. As soon as sound came in, the cameras were so loud, you know, that cranking of the film through the camera, they had to put giant sort of boxes around them, like padded boxes to muffle the sound so you couldn't move the cameras. So everything became very stage bound. And then every so often, and they have a great example of this with an old Barbara Stanwyck movie. They said they would hide a microphone in like a flower pot on a table. So you'd see actors sit down to a table and kind of subtly lean forward and speak because they were talking into the microphone. Eventually, you know, they made smaller cameras, that. faster cameras and better microphones. So they, they got through that. But I mean, it it's it's full of. Great film clips. It'll definitely make you look at movies in a different way. 
And it, by the way, and uh, it's the DVD is long out of print. I don't think it's ever been on a Blu-ray. However, it is on YouTube if you want to watch it. And I just tweeted out that link on our account because mm-hmm. it's worth your time. It's worth it's, watching. If you like movies, I I can't imagine you not liking this movie. I, it's it's fun to see the personalities. It really does look. By the way, it looks a hundred years old. Like these guys. Well, it's a four by three, and they're just in like really. It's very low. It's like four eighty p. Like it's real low definition. Well, the original, you know, it, it was is, like a it's CBS a low def- doc. No, but it was, I mean, it was a theatrical doc, but it, you know, the, the YouTube, it's, you know, it's not a high res. It's not YouTube's fault that it looks like that. Well, whoever loaded it up didn't load up. If you got it now, my DVD looks a lot better than that. Your DVD is 480. I'm not going to fight with you about this, but it's only 480p. But it looks better than that YouTube thing, Billy. Maybe. Well, why don't you go and find the copy in your And then upload it to YouTube and deal with the copyright lawsuit that comes? Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. But anyway. Put this out on Blu-ray, people, or put it out in some high-def thing so we can see it. But one thing I was going to say is the fact that it ends in 92, I think, is very interesting because though, you know, it goes right up to where it is. It's right before CGI. Right before CGI, right before, (laughs) well, right before computer editing. Yeah. You know, these guys, when they're talking about editing a film, they're talking about taking actual physical pieces of film, putting them together, doing this and that to them. Now it's all done on computers. They get into the like factory life of of cinematography, mm-hmm. like how you would stay up late on Saturday editing something, and then Monday morning you're right back at some new thing. That's what we were talking about on Cat People. Those studios, they were factories, and they ever those you were an employee there. You were not an artiste who you know worked when inspiration struck. And they talk about that too, like where the cinematographers felt embarrassed, like they they didn't consider what they did art. Mm-hmm. They thought it was just like it's a trade that they got good at. Yeah. Where they and they would, got very good. I mean, they, some they would of recognize certain actresses would need like I remember an example where he says like the the scene would be at like one oh five, but the actress would get like one twelve. They knew those actresses had. I mean, they had cinematography. You know, director, writer, producer. Forget that. The actress chose the cinematographer because she was why they were making the movie in the first place. A few of those guys were like, yeah, if you you know, it didn't really make a difference in your life one way or the other but every once in a while somebody would pick you and now you work for that lady or whatever and i mean you watch some of those old black and white movies and it is like they were filmed on silk i mean they just look incredible there's there's a couple other neat i don't mean to harp on this it's just it is it's worth your time it's so good uh they talk about comrade hall who i i mentioned a few weeks ago is the guy that i don't know people ask about cinematography and that's that's my guy um he talks about how they broke rules that you would get fired for back in the day mm-hmm. like a door would open and it would just be completely blown out white and they did that on purpose for effect but it, that was not allowed right but in the old studio days i mean they had a look that they wanted You're right you know they would do i thought it was interesting when they're talking about filming cool hand luke and you know so much of it takes place outside and they would have lens flare right which normally they would say cut it's a mistake I mean, J.J. Abrams' whole career is based on lens flare <laughs> that he adds artificially afterwards. <laughs> but it's great. And did you notice, Billy? I don't know if you got to this part, but they talk about James Wong Howe and one of the beautiful movies he shot was uh, I did Sweet whatever, Success. whatever. I mean, all right, I got to say, let me just because the movie looks beautiful and it, it does. I, I, it looks great. There's a couple cool like it's like outside of a building on a weird angle. It, it looks great. I just the dialogue, man. I just that's that's why I'm out on that movie. Oh, well, whatever, whatever. Right? One thing about that movie I wish is because you see it and there's so much interesting stuff. I mean, they talk to, 
you know, cinematographers who worked with Scorsese and, and Coppola and Spielberg. And I mean, and, uh, you know, directors stretching into the past, John Ford and Wells, certainly with Greg Toland and all that. Yeah, there's a big segment on Toland and Wells. Toland, yeah. I mean, Toland was amazing. And Toland had as much to do with the look of Citizen Kane as Wells did. And they point that out. That's why Wells gave him credit yeah, on I mean, the same card. You know, Wells was not inclined to share credit. But he shared credit there. <laughs> I wish they had focused on movies by, and I'm ashamed I can't even name the cinematographer in some of these, but I wish they had focused on Kubrick. I would have loved to have mm. seen how they shot things like 2001 or Clockwork Orange or Barry Lyndon, which is a movie that they, because he didn't want any artificial light, he, and it takes place in, you know, the 1700s. I've I never even heard of this movie. It's, uh, it came out in the 70s and it, it takes place in Europe in, I, I want to say the, maybe the 1800s 1700s but uh kubrick all the inside scenes no light they shot it by candlelight just as it would be back then oh. so he had special lenses <laughs> that were developed by nasa <laughs> i'm not kidding and i would love to hear i mean you can find documentaries about that but yeah i mean that's some interesting cinematography yeah good this is a good doc and it's worth your time and mm-hmm. And uh, visions Will, of light. Will lied when he said he had not seen anything good lately. I did. That's true. I have seen that, and it is damn good. You have a couple more reader questions, and then we'll get to this week's featured movie, Twelve Angry Men from 1957. Yes. Let's see. You know how many times I've edited you out? Going. I know. Our old friend Adam McHugh. Adam McHugh worked with the paper, newspaper colleague. That's right. He says, "Who's an actor you feel should be, should have been? You know, depending on." current or past yeah uh much bigger star or received more accolades than they do so i have I, th- I think i have a good answer for this one um i saw i saw this on facebook i'll be the judge of that well but. it just depends <laughs> on if you kidding. think he's already properly rated but i think michael fassbender is one of the greatest actors around i think he's like just short of christian bale i think he's just outstanding in just about everything and for some reason people recognize that he's good he's always like well regarded but he's not a star. I mean, I, I guess he's a star, but you don't, you don't, I don't see his name in lights. He's not regarded like a, a big movie star. And I, I kind of wish he was because he's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I mean, I remember seeing uh, Inglorious Bastards. That was the first thing I ever saw him in. And he was, he played Archie Hitch- Hickok, the, you know, the, the, the movie critic slash spy, which was a great character. But I mean, yeah, I thought he was amazing too. And um, he's he was in, um I think he, he's had a couple mainstream films that didn't do well didn't he do the alien sequel probably yeah he did he played the robot in the alien and it's sequel. like yeah that yeah, didn't do great. I mean, and he's in the x-men movies yeah he plays uh Magne- young magneto but his performance is good he's good i mean he's also in a movie called uh shame that's about he's a, has, is a sex addict which is not a crowd pleaser but he's great in it but i mean he's you know it's i guess it comes to movie star or actor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know well but you if you're like walking phoenix you get to be both or if you're um or for Christian Bale, you get to be both. That's true. I just, yeah. I'm just, a, that's all. He's good. I mean, that's a good one. I'm uh, The one I was going to pick, but then I think maybe he is a big star, is I was going to pick Sam Rockwell, who, he, you know, he did win the Oscar a, couple, a year or two ago, so. Yeah, he's, but he's, he's huge. You know, it's interesting about, I, I, he had like his run, right, where he, <laughs> I think he came on Saturday Night Live, he goes, hi, I'm Sam Rockwell, I just won an Oscar, I don't know if you heard, he like shows it mm-hmm. off, and it, it's charming but he also is like, tr- you can see the seams. He's straining to be likable. Yeah, well, th- I don't care if they're likable. I mean, right. because he's all, you know, he was in, I didn't see it. He was in that Fosse Verdon show that was on FX. He was played Bob Fosse. He was supposed to be great. 
you know, he's in Moon, which I know you love. Yeah. He's in... Uh, Moon's can- like one of the first collaborations working mm-hmm. you and I ever had. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I love. And um, here's how I know he's a good actor. He is in the first Charlie's Angels movie, which I think is a terrible movie. Yeah. He is great in it. Okay. He is so much fun in that movie. And in the rest of the movie, it's just not good. He's terrible in Iron Man 2. Just garbage. I haven't seen Iron Man 2. You've never seen Iron Man 2? It really nope. surprises me. I've he- never seen Iron Man 2. I've never seen the first two Thor movies. And I've never seen Captain Marvel. The first two Thor movies are obnoxiously bad. They're mm-hmm. very bad. He- Notice he- how I managed to avoid all the bad Marvel movies. He plays uh, Justin Hammer. It's It's like a discount Tony Stark. And it's just and it's obnoxious and grating. But it's he's, not good. Think about him in Galaxy Quest. He's great. I've never seen Galaxy <sighs> Quest. That's one you should see. You know what? That's an actual good movie. You and I sit down in movie theaters a lot, and it's come up like five times where you bring up it's Galaxy Quest with Tim Allen, mm-hmm. and you talk about how you wouldn't think it's good, but it is good. It's great. And then I always say, "You've told me this story before," and you go, "Oh yeah, I don't remember." And then you just continue and tell me more about it. I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm an old man. Any other listener questions or do you want to get to the movie? Let's get to the movie. This week's movie from 1957, 12 Angry Men. It's now your duty to sit down and try and separate the facts from the fancy. One man is dead. Another man's life is at stake. If there's a reasonable doubt in your minds as to the guilt of the accused, a reasonable doubt, then you must bring me a verdict of not guilty. Now, if, however, there's no reasonable doubt, then you must, in good conscience... Find the accused guilty. However you decide, your verdict must be unanimous. The 12 angry men are the members of a jury. They've been assigned a murder case. They have to decide the guilt or innocence of a young man, a young Hispanic man. And it essentially, all these guys go in. They're all a bunch of white guys, of course. Uh, and they, um, uh, they all, 11 of them vote guilty right off the bat. They're like, let's take a vote. They vote guilty. Good. We can get out of here. Boom, 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 boom. One man played by Henry Fonda, not coincidentally wearing a white suit, says he votes not guilty. And they ask him why. And it's not necessarily he thinks he's not guilty. He thinks they should talk about it. He said he thinks they should spend some time discussing this. And of course, over the course of the movie, he, they, they, discuss the various arguments, uh, you know, the, the evidence that's been presented, and Henry Fonda ch- 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 chips away at the case until, spoiler alert, at the end, it's 11 voting for not guilty and then one lone holdout voting for guilty, and he says, convince us. You really think he's innocent? I don't know. I mean, you sat in court with the rest of us. You heard what we did. The kid's a dangerous killer. You could see it. He's 18 years old. Well, that's old enough. He... He stabbed his own father four inches into the chest. They proved it a dozen different ways in court. Would you like me to list them for you? No. And that's, I mean, it's a simple story. And it all takes place in one room. It could be called 12 Sweaty Men because it's like the <laughs> hottest day of the year. And and unlike many movies, these guys, you know, I'm sure it's just, you know, water sprayed on them between takes, but they are sweating. It You feel... The stench of this room and the desperation and the anger and the tension. I kind of felt like uh, it just was so hot because the lights that they just worked it into the script that the setting was hot. Maybe. But it's black and white film. Lights didn't have to be as as bright as if it were color. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Do you like this movie? I do like this movie. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I'll talk about a couple things that I uh, find fault with it. But I've seen it many times. And I think 
I like it because, not necessarily because I think it's a deep movie, you know, that everyone deserves a shot at innocence and blah, blah, blah. I think it's almost like a good, like kind of like a puzzle movie. Like, here's some evidence. And then Hernie Fonda says, well, what about this? And then they kind of chip away at that. And then they move on to the next thing. Well, what about this woman who said she saw it through the L windows and da-da-da? And then well, what about the knife? And what about the this and that? And I mean, you know, it's kind of, it was written in the 50s. Uh, it was originally, by the way, a TV uh, production, a, a live TV production. Not not that far, both like 52, it was 48, in, uh, something like that. I mean, it wasn't that. No, much. it wasn't 48. It was 54. Okay. So they started, you know, it was two years, three years later, they yeah. filmed it. It was a, it was a production of um, Westinghouse Studio One. But it's, <laughs> you know, back then they used to have a lot of these. You know, TV was different in the 50s because uh, there weren't as many. Most of them were concentrated in New York. And because TVs were expensive, most of them were owned by wealthy people. Everyone didn't have a TV. So TV sort of aimed at a more refined audience, dare I say, a more media savvy, more sophisticated audience. So they would air these dramas, you know, just straight dramas. And I mean, there's plots of Mad Men where it's like tonight's drama features an abortion, you know, and it would be a big talking point the next day. And this one, you know, and this, and I, I actually, this again, like last week, or, or I'm sorry, last week, a few minutes ago, I get my episodes confused. We said the Visions Late was on YouTube. Uh, you can watch the original. <laughs> a few minutes ago, I know. <laughs> we, I got confused. You can watch the original Twelve Angry Men on YouTube. It, somebody uploaded it and actually color corrected it, and, or not color corrected, like speed corrected it. Um, so it's a pretty good quality. And you mean the the TV version? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. The TV version on YouTube. It's only like 50 minutes long. It's not nearly as good as the movie version. It, it's choppy and it's, you can see that they really took advantage of being able to expand things a bit. The, for me, the most interesting thing about the TV version is, um, they had live commercials. You know, they would cut to Westinghouse. And Westinghouse sponsored the whole thing, and they said at the beginning, they go, the power to serve the nation's defense, equipment to serve the nation's industry, and appliance for greater convenience in nation in our nation's homes. And then every 15 minutes or so, they have this woman, Betty Furness, come out and demonstrate the new Westinghouse refrigerator or dishwasher or blah, blah, blah. Sure. And as, it's as it, presented by Westinghouse. Exactly. And it was, you know, talk about your sponsored TV, but but so the the TV is good, but it definitely feels like sort of a rough sketch for the movie. Aren't you going to ask me what I think of the movie? No, I'm going to just barrel on and uh, ignore what you... Th- oh, Billy, what'd you think of the movie? I love this movie. Did you really? I think this movie is so good. Really? Like it just, I'm a little shocked because it's in black and white. It's captivating. And there's dialogue. <laughs> oh, crap. All right. No, on. but I'm glad you liked it. What'd uh, you like about it specifically? It's really... For a movie that, you know, has four walls the whole time... It's one room, yeah. It is really attractive. It's like really a cool-looking, interesting... I, I just can't believe they held my attention visually. I do for ninety straight minutes. I know it's, it's interesting because it's it, it you get no change of scenery. There's nothing there, and it just keeps being good. Oh, you know what? They go to the bathroom at one point. They do four scenes. Okay, <laughs> or four sets. And you know, and and real quick because it starts with them in the courtroom, and you see the defendant who's a young Latino man, and um. And then you see the judge basically says, you know, you're assigned to da da da. They say it's, you know, if you find a verdict, what they do is they say, if you find a verdict of guilty, he's going to the chair. Yeah. Whatever. There's no, there's no wiggle room. No. Yeah. In the event that you find the accused guilty, the bench will not entertain a recommendation for mercy. 
The death sentence is mandatory in this case. You're faced with a grave responsibility. Thank you, gentlemen. I, I like, by the way, that the judge just is like yawning as he talks. Yeah. I would cut out that opening because I think this movie works better if you don't see the defendant. Okay. And you sort of learn, not even specifically if the defendant's Latino, but you learn by what they say that the defendant is not white and that the defendant is an other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I almost um, think by showing this this innocent little wide-eyed kid, then you're too prejudiced on the side of the defendant. I, I mean, sure, except that Ed Begley makes it perfectly clear where, right. <laughs> where he stands. But I think it. I think that's better if you find that out through the jurors. Yeah, maybe. Not. That's my one. That's, that's I think, one of the only faults I found. The only fault I found is that, and you, you, you said it at the top, you said juror number eight, uh, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda. Just doesn't want to send the kid to death after two minutes talking. Right. But he went, there's a scene where, um, uh, let me backtrack, uh, the criminal, the prosecution's case is that this kid had this crazy rare switchblade. Right. That you, it was one of a kind. And he stabbed his dad with it. And he stabbed his dad with it. And there's all sorts of talk about, did he stab up or down or whatever. Mm. But, you know, they found the knife later. It seems pretty clear that this kid's knife. He did. said he dropped that out of his pocket or whatever. Right. Which yeah. seems unbelievable. Because um, uh, it, it's, it's just as an aside. He probably like threw it away or whatever right. because you're not supposed to have a switchblade. Right. But as it turns out, juror number eight, Henry Fonda, um, like the night before, walked that neighborhood and found a different pawn shop or whatever. He went in a pawn shop, but an exact duplicate of this switchblade with had like a real distinctive handle. So it kind of, it makes me feel like right off the bat, he's going something something's off about this. I I think this kid's innocent. It's not like he just stopped. Yeah, I mean you're you're not wrong. He didn't. You know. Also, if you did that in real life, that that's a mistrial immediately. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, show up the, the legality of this movie is shaky. He um he does it in a, a crazy way too. Like Henry Fonda is so mild mannered, but when he wants to show everybody that knife, he like flips he it like, out and stabs it at the yeah, table. Like, it. and then you have that shot of the two knives. Yeah. Like, oh, it's uh, the da-da-da. same knife. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It's a, it's a little hokey. Maybe I mean, it is a, the movie is a little hokey for sure, and, and that might be the other criticism. Although I, it's just you know what, it just reminded me of that time, like the 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 branding of the fifties. You know, the Leave It yeah, to Beaver. It's, it's like, a very it's it's branded in in that sort of like you know Make America Great Again sort of nostalgia that you know that certain people in this country long for. And it is not. I mean, yeah. The, I mean, Ed Ed Bagley Senior, the father right. of the actor Ed Bagley. He is, you know, each of the other jurors has sort of their their little reason why they voted. Most of them do. Some of them don't. But Ed Begley Jr. is, he's a real racist. And he gives a whole speech about, all the, you know, these people, they'll lie just to, you know, they can't tell the truth. And and he, at one point he says, like, some of them are good. I'm not saying that. Then, like, two seconds later he says, none of them are any good. And, <laughs> you know. And, eventually, and that's one part. I mean. I know why they did this and they wanted to make a point, but there is he when he's ranting, every single juror gets up and stands like with its back to him. I'm like, really? Yeah, it's it's a little goofy. I got to say, that's going to be our our like poster or like that's the shot we're going to use for this. when they're all standing. Yeah, because it's just like all of them are in one frame and they're all doing something kind yeah. of interesting. So it makes sense. But yeah, it's like not one guy goes, dude, shut up. Yeah. Well, then doesn't actually E.G. Marshall, is he the one who says like. I have no idea who E.G. Marshall is. You're he's the guy with the glasses. Carry me along. He's here. jury number jury number four, but he's the one who has the glasses. Oh, the 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 um the kind Bond of, villain. 
The no, accountant. He's not a Bond villain. He looks like a Bond villain to me. He's very, you know who he kind of reminds me of is Slugworth from Willy Wonka. Because he has glasses? Well, because he's like a little weaselly, needly guy with good posture and he looks like <laughs> <Okay>. Slugworth. <laughs> you know, Slugworth played Nazi in this one movie. Not this movie. <laughs> Willy Wonka? <laughs> he was a good guy in Willy Wonka. Remember Slugworth? It was all a gay. Uh, was, uh, all you right. don't remember the I do, main I, plot I've seen, of the movie? I've seen Willy Wonka 5,000 times. I do remember. But this movie, we, uh, maybe now's a good time to mention, it has an amazing cast. Yeah. Let's uh, roll them down. Let me, let, me, let me start here. I don't know that it's amazing. I assume it is. It's a great cast. Okay. Trust me. You got Henry Fonda, who was the producer of the movie, and apparently this movie didn't do that well. Oh, that's and he went in for profit. I know, it's weird because it is considered a classic, and it couldn't have been that much to make, but I guess it didn't do that well. Okay. Box office-wise. But you got Henry Fonda, who was one of the biggest movie stars of the time back then. But you have a lot of up-and-coming actors, too. You got Martin Balsam, who's the foreman. Who one thing I lo- always love is he wears a polo shirt with a tie. You told me that before this movie, and it like it fucked with me. I, could, I know. I, I couldn't stop looking at it. It's him. crazy, <laughs> isn't it? But Martin Balsam had a long career. He's in Psycho. He's a detective in Psycho that gets okay. killed a couple years later. He's in All the President's Men. He's in tons of stuff. He was the he, he's all the, the President's Men. Is that on our list? Is that one of the ones we're going to do? Yes. Okay. Is that the one good. we're doing? Is that we're going to do next week? Uh, we can if you want. Which which are we doing the candidate? There's some political movie you want us to do next week. We could do all the friends and men. Is that the one? Sure. Okay. Why not? <laughs> we, we 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 loosely discuss what we might do. I know, and I feel like all the presidents' men has come up in this podcast a lot. Right, we've talked about this it it last year. It's Redford and uh, the candidates. Redford and too. Hoffman. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Okay, Sorry. okay. Anyway, okay. But um, Martin Balsam plus Martin Balsam is the father of Talia Balsam, who was Roger Stern, Roger Sterling's wife on Mad Men. Oh, sure. So there no, you go. in real life too. It, well, he's the real father of her. You mean the the young the actress. Jane? The, no, the older, the one Roger divorced. Or His actual wife, Mona. On the show. That's Roger's real wife in yeah, real life. Yeah, well, that's her. Yeah, yeah okay. That's yeah. that's that's John Slattery's wife. She's, uh, I think, Clooney's ex-wife, I want to say. I don't know about but that. But anyway, but he's a, he's a great actor. What a, what a lady. Goes from Clooney to John Slattery, like nothing what about that, huh? in her life. Well, Damn. Yeah. Not bad. Um, <laughs> Lee J. Cobb, who's juror number three, he was in tons of stuff. He you was in The Exorcist. Yeah, Mm-hmm. You know who he reminds me of? This just bear with me. This might sound ridiculous, but he reminds me of like the best case appearance for Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, I I mean looks wise. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, performance yeah. No, wise, no, 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 but no. yeah, I could see that. I, every, I saw him. He seems so familiar. I, it must yeah. be from the Exorcist that I recognize he him does. from. And he's had a long career. Yeah, I mean, and he's great at playing the kind of guy you want to hate, the guy you root against, you yeah. know, because he's a big blustery man, and he really, you know, he makes a meal of that role. Um, E.G. Marshall, we mentioned, he's in tons of stuff. Um, Cl- Jack Klugman. All right, I, you. We talked about this pre-show. A <laughs> wait little till bit. you. Wait till you people hear this. I've never heard this take on Jack Klugman. I cannot believe. I, maybe I can believe now, but while I was watching it, I just kept waiting for him to be the guy who breaks out, who's the star. I think he is remarkably handsome in this movie, and you you laughed at that. It's I've never thought about it like that. He looks like like Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate. He I mean he's he's got a distinct like is he Jewish? He seems like he's got a distinct like I'm thinking he is non traditional kind of look, but he he looks handsome and he's like got like a broodingness to him because he grew up in a slum. That yeah, he's, I, it, it it turns out he's like the like ninth most important juror. He's really not important. Well, at all. Klugman was young, you know, in his career when he made this. He was in some Twilight Zone, some classic Twilight Zones. His big thing is he was on the TV show The Odd Couple for years. Oh, okay. And he was also he started in the TV show Quincy after that. So he had a long. I mean, Jack Klugman had a really good career. He just had kind of like this. T- 
tough, almost like Marlon Brando in Street Car Named Desire. Like he just had this like white t-shirt kind of look to him. But also I, kind of, I mean, his he's kind of like ashamed to be from the slum and yeah. he kind of is reluctant to stand up for himself because there's one point they're like, you know what people from the slums are like. And he's like, listen, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood. He's like very mild mannered. I thought he would, yeah. he would come out and have like his big monologue. And mm, he really he doesn't. doesn't. He's sort of a passive guy, but I, I thought he was going to be bigger than he is in this movie. Um, let's see. You got, uh, also you got Jack Warden. Who's the guy who has tickets to the Yankees Indians game. That guy annoys the and he wants out to get out. I love Jack Warden. That guy's though. the worst part of this movie. Oh, how can you say that about Jack Warden? He's just, cause he's got one bit. It's 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 my same complaint from cat people where it's like ah oh, gee lady gee whiz it's it's this back to that ah oh, gee lady fine but but Warden just has this bit of like can you believe this guy can you believe it and he just says the same like three things for an hour and a half he he was grading yeah we can all get out of here pretty quick huh eh? I don't know about the rest of you but I happen to have tickets to that ball game tonight Yanks and Cleveland yeah we got this kid Majaluski in there oh he's a real bull this kid you know boom real jug handle you know. You're a real baseball fan, aren't you? Yeah. Where do we sit here? And a couple times, I think the 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 guy he's got like a Spanish background. He's like an immigrant or something. Yeah. He kind of tells him like, "Shut up, sit down." And it's like, well, he's maybe supposed to be grading, you know. I. But that's fine. You'll never get me to. By the way, Jack Warden, another one, is in all the presidents men. Okay. You skipped. um, Edward uh, Bins. Bins. Um, I don't really know what else Edward Bins has been. He's been in <laughs> some stuff, but I don't know a whole lot about. He's he's like a painter in this. I think he says he runs like a painting business. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, there are a lot of them. Are you know you have kind of the blue collar and then you have the white collar guys in this. And okay. Um, we got Henry Fonda. He's juror number eight. We've talked about him. Joseph Sweeney, who's the old guy. I like that guy. I do too. And you know what? He didn't do much else. But you know what he did do? He played the exact same role in the TV version. He's one of two people who was also in the TV version. Like three years earlier or yeah. whatever? Oh, gotcha. He reminded me of Jiminy Cricket from the Pinocchio cartoon. <laughs> he kind of looks like him. <laughs> Just yeah. like a nice, like a conscience. He does. He's good, though. And um, you got George Voskovec, who is the uh, immigrant. Right. And again, they're, you know... Eastern European, maybe, or European or something, because there's people like, you know, you come to this country and they tell us how to behave and this and that. And But he is also in the original version. Okay. And um, you have Robert Weber, who is, he was in a lot of movies. He's the last too. one. He's the he's right. 12. And he was very Don Drapery, I thought. Kind I mean, he was an ad man. He's like, what if Don Draper was annoying? Well, sometimes Don Draper was annoying. Uh, yeah. But well, he was, the, maybe not Don Draper, but he was definitely the Madison Avenue ad man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. he is one and he's always, he's kind of glib and he's talking about like, you know, people around my age, you see, they say like, let's uh, run that of the flagpole and see who's loose. That's pretty funny, huh? huh yeah. Huh? It's funny that he he makes, he. I mean, okay, he is, he's at like a mini arc where he mentions, you know, a dumb thing that happens all of my meetings is somebody starts off by saying, let's, let's run up the flagpole yeah. or whatever. And then later on, he just finds himself using that. To, yeah. To get, of course. Well, anyway. Anyways, I was telling you, in an agency, when we reach a point like this, I'm telling about in an ad agency when a point like this is reaching a meeting, mm. it's always some character ready with an idea, see? <laughs> and it kills me. It's the weirdest thing in the world, the way they sometimes precede their idea with a little phrase, see? Like, some account exec will get up and he'll say, uh, okay, uh, here's an idea, let's uh, run it up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes it. <laughs> it's idiotic, but it's funny, huh? <laughs> And he's yeah. he's also the one at the beginning who says we're lucky to get a death penalty case. <laughs> yeah, it's like, jeez, dude. <laughs> they um they kind of go out of their way. The, the movie kind of casts judgment on him. Yeah, uh, I think he, so. He's he's presented as a moron. He's pretty shallow. Yeah, I mean he's and, not dumb, but he's just shallow and doesn't really consider the depth of what they're at all. He with. changes his vote back and forth yeah. pretty quick. He's just yeah. 
But he he is handsome. He he, he seems is, he's a good looking guy. Yeah. He's a very fifties kind of guy. Yeah, like very. He, uh, that's what I meant. I didn't mean maybe the character Don Draper, but sort of the Don Draper esque. Yeah, the role role. Right, right. Um, and that's that's everybody, right? Other than Begley. That's it. And you know, uh, another thing is uh, Jack Klugman died in 2012, and he was the last member of this cast to die. Ah, I know. It's too bad. But what are you going to do? Should have been a star. That's my answer for who could have been a star. Jack Klugman. <laughs> he was a star. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Didn't yeah. happen when I was around. No. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. We're in the cast. Who who shone for you and who was kind of, eh? Um, well, I mean, you know, it's Henry Fonda's movie. Yeah. I mean, he's the one, you know, he's, and he plays, I think he plays it well because he's kind of, you know, gentle and. He's kind of like Kobayashi in um, uh, uh, The Usual Suspects. Which one's Kobayashi? He's the guy. It's um, been a long time since I've seen. Pete Postlethwaite, who okay. I think just died, right? Like, or I guess a few in years 11, ago. 2011, yeah. but. So eight years ago. That sort of slender face, uh, mild manner. I mean, very, very much Kobayashi in The Usual Suspects, like polite. Yeah. dignified but it's you know he eventually i mean it and it's a classic henry henry fonda was always cast as sort of the you know the upright guy the guy yeah. you kind of root for you know um like our guy from jaws which guy from jaws the main guy in jaws i don't know Roy Scheider? yeah kind of i guess sort of maybe but i mean <laughs> but anyway um but, uh, you know, every so often he does, you know, when they, because two of the guys, when they're like, well, we're going to talk about this, they, they whip out a tic-tac-toe and start playing. And he gets all pissed about that. That's true. He's yeah. like, this is not a game. Yeah. And then there's, I love the scene because he, there's an argument about the, the kid said to his dad, I'm going to kill you. And Henry Fonda's is like, people say that all the time. They don't mean it. And they're like, no, they, he meant it. That's proof that he did it. He pushes and pushes and pushes Lee J. Cobb and says, You're a sadist. Because Lee J. Cobb says, I want to pull the lever or something. Yeah, He's like, You yeah. are a sadist. Why are you, you, why are you this? this country's uh, yeah. Avenger or Avenger whatever? Avenger or something. Yeah, He's like, yeah. There's something wrong with you. And he gets more and more mad and finally goes, like, I'm going to kill you. And then Henry Fonda basically just says, Did you mean that? Right. And yeah. I love the, the accountant guy next to him. He goes, He provoked me. And he goes, Yes, he did. Yeah. Very, very well. He did. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what. And. and what I like about the movie, and again, this is not, I mean, it's, you can see it coming. And if you have a movie like this, you know it's coming, but sort of how everything turns. Yeah. You know, you can feel the the room shift, you know, to Henry Fonda. And some of them, like we mentioned Jack Warden, he changes his vote just to change it. Yeah. And he, and they're like, no, that's not a valid reason. And he's like, I'll, I can change my vote for whatever reason. And he kind of holds out on that, by the way. He he's does. like, no, I don't really care. His vote remains changed. Yeah. And then there, I like the part two because, um, E.G. Marshall is this very, you know, a lot of like Ed Begley's very emotional and Lee J. Cobb is very emotional. And and E.G. Marshall, the guy with the glasses, is very not he's very he doesn't even sweat. Right. He does sweat at one point. And at that's one like point, they make like a, point a little bead yeah, goes down. Yeah. But um, he's the one who because there's a woman who said she saw she she woke up when she heard a crash and she looked out their window and she could see in the building next door uh, the guy stabbing his father. Right. And through they, train cars, through train cars, yeah, which sounds suspicious, regardless. But they noticed that she had the little indents on the side of her nose, indicating that she wore glasses. And I like that. There's this. There's a part when E.G. Marshall. There's a shot of him where he realizes he never even really says it. He I mean, he says it in a way, but you realize he real like you can see him change his mind without even saying it. Like you can see the click in his head, and he realizes what this means if she was wearing glasses like he doesn't he, he realizes it before everyone else does the implications if she 
had those dots on her nose. That's what that meant. Yeah. And yeah. he changes his thing. I mean, it's all of it's a little bit like spurious. Everything's a little bit like, uh, you got to take some leaps of faith. But, right. but the point of it is that, hey, do you have any doubt at all? Why would you kill this guy? The point is not proving him innocent. Right. The point is the reason about, you know, interestingly in the... Uh, I think, by the way, I think I saw this in like a ninth grade American national government class. Like, they, I think it was just shown as like movie day. Apparently they show it a lot in like... Or they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they showed it in like corporate training, where to show like how to make an argument and how arguments can change people's minds and this and that. Sure. Um, in the TV version, one comparison is because they streamline everything. Her, uh, the woman wore glasses in court, so they they don't even like debate like what the dot you know what the yeah rinse you could skip all that and just say yeah, she, wore, she glasses, wore glasses. There's no like, way oh, she wore them oh. in the bed. Yeah. I mean it's it's it is interesting in the TV how everything is a little bit faster and a little bit yeah. rougher and it doesn't and the ending is slightly different too. Uh, are there any characters? So I asked you 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 tricked me. I asked you what performances you liked and you started talking about your favorite scenes. Ah, there you go. What performances didn't work for you? Um. I mean, I mean, I already gave away the game. Like, yeah, I, you don't I, like Jack Ward. I mean, and I, I see he's almost like comic relief. He's, in a way. he's quote unquote comic relief. It's just that he's in it. He, I think he's in it a disproportionate amount. He should have been in it for a couple of scenes. He wants to go to the Yankees game. Damn it! Why don't I get to go? Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with usher him out a little good. earlier. Um, and I mean, I don't know the ad man Robert Weber. He's all right. He doesn't. I mean, you need twelve guys. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't add a whole lot. I liked Balsam a lot. I thought he seemed like every time like the room would get a little unruly, he'd go, look, you can be the foreman. I'm, I don't yeah, care. He's the foreman. So he doesn't. And, you know, he, some, I read one thing. They never point out. He does change his mind at one point. Yeah. But there's no discussion as to why he does. <sighs> is that true? I, I'm trying to remember why he changed. Because he's really just guiding them. He doesn't get involved in the discussion. There's no, He doesn't have a big scene. Where he talks, and yeah. then Henry Fonda. Well, he does. He, he has the scene. Well, he talks about how he's a high school football coach, right? Uh, but, I mean, he kind of gets into like his personal life along the wall. But then when they go, but right. that, but it has nothing to do with yeah. the trial. I mean, the the big, the big character, sort of the big battle, is between Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb, right? And it, you know, you have Ed Bagley's racist, and you have you know people against slum people, and people against this and that, and Ed Bagley, or I'm sorry, Lee J. Cobb is. He has issues with his son. Yeah, and it's you think I, I remember thinking B.J. Cobb, juror four, three, whatever he is, had right. a racist argument. But, but he's—it's really not. A he's racist not racist. Argument. It's more like ageist. Like he's just—he's a young punk, no respect. Well, I—it's I, all because of his yeah. son because he says like. You know, I've like he has this, you know, frankly horrifying now story. Although I'm sure in the 50s it wasn't that uncommon. He's like, I saw my kid run from a fight once, and you know, I guarantee that was never going to happen again. I mean, you know, yeah. And then his kid punched him, and you get the feeling he was. And he goes, he said he's a big kid now, right? <laughs> and so he's like, sort of weirdly impressed, but yeah. also that severed the relationship. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And at the end, he—that's like, how this podcast ends. I know. <laughs> it's pow and then we're done does that mean i'm lee j cobb uh, yeah you're my son uh, i have something to tell you after the podcast uh, yeah. um, <laughs> we're both named i always thought it was weird that we're both named william it is weird isn't it yeah that's a that's a weird coincidence <laughs> too much it's uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable <laughs> sorry i derailed you but he at the end just sort of has this breakdown because he's the one who won't budge and then he rips you know he Rips he rips up. his he's, photo of his kid rips up. He a photo yeah. of his kid up. And then eventually he says, fine, not guilty. Fine, not guilty. And um, and then everyone walks out. 
And then Henry Fonda, it's kind of a nice moment because Henry Fonda, like, gets his coat and puts it on. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, he doesn't hate him. There was a lot of... Oh, yeah, he shows up. That's right. There's, like, a, a moment of empathy. It's just he, a little quiet thing. Yeah. And then he shows up. And then at the very end, which is... You know, I don't like the scene at the beginning where they leave the jury room. But, but you do I, like the scene at the end. I do like the yeah. scene at the end because it's like, it feels like... Now they're out in the open air because they go outside. They and, don't know each other's names. And at the end, the very old guy... Um, right. A juror 10 or whatever. His name is McCardle. McCardle. And he he said that and I rewound. I was like, what is his name? I had to to put on the closed captioning to make sure. And Henry Fonda's name is Davis. Davis. And he's an architect. They all have weird last name, first names. Lee and Davis and McCardle. Right. But, you know, it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, but I, it's cool. And that's the only time they sort of step out of character as the jurors. I, I don't think this is a perfect movie. I just think it's it's shockingly efficient and shock. Like, I can't believe how well it holds up for being almost nothing, for just being some guys talking. And, and maybe that's, you know, the lack of, of, of set pieces is made up for by 12 speaking roles. Right, like 12, 12 roles. 12, I mean, whatever you think of Jack Warden in that, but I mean, you have some strong actors. Yeah, with all have perspectives and backstory, you mm-hmm. learn a lot about all these guys, and it just keeps it It just keeps it moving. Yeah, it's good. Sidney Lumet, um, he directed Network. Oh, sure, also, yeah. I mean, Sidney Lumet has a, a career, the kind of career you, if you were a young director, this is the career you want, because he did... Network, he did Dog Day Afternoon, he did 12 Angry Men, he did, um, what else? Did Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the, which was a big hit. I, I mean, mean, it's so funny, Will. You you say these things like, I should know what you're talking about, and I, I don't, I just don't. Well, you've heard, have you ever heard of Dog Day Afternoon? No. Really? Not at all. That sounds like an old guy thing you'd say. Like, not you, but like, you know, that's a Dog Day Afternoon. It's you a know, it's raining out or something. movie. He also, I mean, but he did movies, you know, because this came out in 57, in in 2007, 50 years after this movie came out, he did a movie called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead with Marissa Tomei and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and who's the third lead? Uh, I think it's Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Ethan Hawke, Albert Finney. This movie is an intense crime movie that feels like it was made by a 30-year-old. Oh, sure. It is so good. And it is so intense, and you would never guess that he made it fifty years after, after he made that. Man. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's interesting. That, that um, your visions of light documentary too. Um, they talk a lot about how if some of the guys, like just the how the the master class people were just a little bit too old. Like if they had more time, they would have come up with even more crazy stuff. Did you? You didn't get to the part about the graduate in that, did you? I did. I did. Okay. Yeah, how, they, how, Mike, how they said it was Mike it, Nichols and his cinematographer. The guy was like sixty. He was sixty. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Well, and, well, and I mean, a little bit later, they do talk about Dog Day Afternoon in that. Oh, okay. Movie, I didn't. So. I didn't get. Yeah. I, spoiler. I got to like fifty minutes, right. and then Will showed up at my house, so I had to stop watching. Damn me. <laughs> So there's a number of like plot devices in this movie or, or, or plot points like the the knife or the train or mm-hmm. the the like the diagram of how long it takes the guy to walk right like the witness yeah the guy who supposedly saw the kid running down the stairs was it how do you feel about all of that like do, I mean you need you need to fill out a 90 minute movie so they gotta spend a little bit more time than maybe they ordinarily would on each one of those I, as I was watching. I thought it was stupid that they're reenacting how long it would have taken that guy to walk with a limp down his hallway. But at the same time, I was interested. It was yeah. like, it was captivating. I, I don't mean, know how to explain that. Maybe they wouldn't really do that in a jury room, but it is interesting. You know, it, it's also one of the only, I mean, so much of it is talk, talk, talk. This is actually 
a little, I mean, that's not true. action, but it's a little bit of, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that's the action scene. It is, but you're, you're watching it and you're kind of, you know, you're thinking like, how long would it take? And yeah. you're, you know, and you see him and then the, you know, cause the guy had a cane, but then one guy's like, you, he was walking faster than that. And so Henry Fonda does speed up and it's still not even close. I, I didn't mind it. The glasses part that we referenced earlier, I thought didn't work. How the, it felt like padding. Um, you have that that scene starts where we're trying to convince juror number four, the accountant, um, or, or I guess not. An account, I keep calling him an accountant because he looks like that to me. He but like, I, e. I think Marshall, he's like yeah. he's like a stocks and bonds guy or something. Or he's a broker. A broker. Okay, yeah. sure, sure. A uh, Wall Street guy. Um, mm-hmm. We're trying to convince him to turn his vote, and it. Uh, um, Henry Fonda starts by saying. What'd you do last night? What'd you do the night before? What'd you do before? Oh, that's that? the movie thing. And yeah, because the guy, the, the the suspect couldn't remember. He said he was in a movie, but he couldn't remember what movie it was. The boy couldn't remember the names of the movies he saw because he wasn't there that night. According to the police testimony in court, the boy was questioned by the detectives in the kitchen of his apartment, while the body of his father was lying on the floor in the bedroom. You think you could remember details under those circumstances? I do. Under great emotional stress? Under great emotional stress. He remembered them correctly in court. He named the pictures and the stars who played in them. Yes. His lawyer took great pains to bring that out. He had three months from the night of the murder to the day of the trial in which to memorize them. And turns out, E.G. Marshall can't remember the movie he saw. Or right. the cast or whatever. Something he misses yeah. it. And I don't know why that wasn't enough to convince him. Because in the end, he goes, no, you're right. I can't remember. Still guilty. Did the glasses can? Yeah, I don't know. The glasses are what convinced yeah. him. That's where he changed his mind. I like the glasses part more than the movie part. Yeah, the movie. Maybe the, you know, maybe they should have had the movie part go to somebody like Martin Balsam or somebody who Some, really never. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good like, point. Something like the point. ad man or whatever, or, or uh, um, the immigrant kind of just gets to speak. He gets to stand up. He has actually a little comeuppance where he gets to like yell at everybody yeah. and say like, I had to learn the Constitution to be in this country. Why don't you? Yeah. Well, he's that. the one who yells at Jack Warden. Now, uh, wait a minute. You can't talk like that to me. I can talk like that to you. If you want to vote not guilty, then do it because you are convinced the man is not guilty and not because you've had enough. And if you think he is guilty, then vote that way. Or don't you have the guts to do what you think is right? Now, listen. Guilty or not guilty? I told you, not guilty. Why? Look, I don't have to. You do have to. Say it. Why? I don't uh, think he's guilty. Right, right. And there's the, there's the one part where I think it's Ed Begley or I can't remember if it's him or Lee J. Cobb where he says like, you know, they don't, uh, you know, I don't. You know, he he don't speak so good English. And he goes, and he, he doesn't speak. speak yeah, he doesn't speak well. English yeah, something, well. Yeah, like, yeah, something to that fact. And yeah, he gets a little line. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe assign that to like, I, like the, I like the pushover guy, the, the juror number two, the nerdy guy. Oh, the guy, you know, he um, he was the voice of uh, Piglet on Winnie the Pooh <laughs> sure, for years. That makes and sense. he was on Bob Newhart's show too. For you years. know, I John never Fiedler. have any idea if Piglet is a boy or a girl. Does it matter? I don't know if it matters. Wearing and I, pants. I don't think I've... <laughs> I don't think I've actually sat and watched an entire episode of Winnie the Pooh. And now that I think about it, I think I looked this up and I think Piglet is a boy. Probably. But it's all sort of androgynous. Rue is kind of the, or Kanga's the only. T- uh, Tigger's definitely a male. Boy. Tigger's a male. Pooh is a male. I don't know. I don't know. Who, but, <laughs> I, dude, when you have kids, you like, things cross your mind. I realize that. <laughs> um, I think I told you this. And uh, sorry for the tangent here, folks, but my three year old who could not speak in may of this year it's we're in november now so six months ago couldn't talk now watches cinderella and sings and recites the dialogue with 
And you're saying, Jesus Christ. No, it's awesome. Shut up. Not at all. Like I like wipe a tear from my eye and my wife nods at me and it's like, it's a moment, dude. It's awesome. I know. Sorry. Uh, I like that Don't guy. Don't show that kid Frozen, whatever you do. Oh, he's... he. Has, oh, he's, those he songs are going to drive you insane. He doesn't love Frozen. Um, I Allie missed Frozen, and I'm so crazy. He's into Storybots now. I don't know, I don't what, know what that if, is, and you know what? I'm so glad I don't, because uh, there's always some annoying kid thing that... Jury number two changes his vote pretty quick, and I... I don't know. Like, I guess you don't really need to know much more about him, other than that they say he's a pushover. But he ends up standing up for himself a lot. Well, and he's kind of a people pleaser, I think. Because at one point, he's like offering cough drops. And Ed Bagley has a huge rant or something. And then uh, he says like, hey, can I have one of those cough drops? And he goes, they're all gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the big cough drop That's moment his- of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I hate to cut this one short, but I think that's all I got for this movie. I, I It looks great. We talked a little bit about that, but it's not like, you know, it's a black and white movie in a in a closed set. So they do the job they can. But, but I mean, but again, this is where I think, you know, it's I think the black and white helps it so much. It, it, it you know, it feels I'm sure, you know, I think they did do a TV remake about, I don't know, 20 years ago or so. But I just, you know, I think the black and white helps it. It, it focuses it all. Plus, you get. Henry Fonda in a white suit. Yeah. You know, you get that black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know. you get the contrast. He's he's angelic or whatever. Well, he's the white knight. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it doesn't look like it did. It, it, it received critical acclaim, but it didn't make yeah. that much money. When you look on the Wikipedia, it says rentals next to the profits. It was like 400 grand to make and 2 million it made. Yeah. So, I mean, and but it is one that, you know, people tend to know this movie. I mean, they've heard of this movie from the 50s. You yeah. Know? It's, I think it's, it's very a, well regarded now. I think it's a movie that's shown in schools. I think it is. And I think it's one that holds up if you're just looking for, you know, I mean, nowadays half the shows on TV are take place in a courtroom. So, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. So, you know, this one takes place after the courtroom. 12 Angry Men Special Victims Unit. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> At least we got a murder case, says the shallow <laughs> ad man. <laughs> Do you have so any final thoughts on Twelve Angry Men? No, it's. I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times, and uh, when I rewatched it, I I enjoy it's. It's you know, it's a fun movie. It's a it's a nice little you know, almost like a mystery. Yeah, solved. Yeah, I, I, I agreed, and like I said, I I didn't think I'd like it, and I did. I th- I thought mm-hmm. it was. I kind of want to like watch it with somebody else, you know, like introduce this to the next person, yeah. you know, because. Uh, I don't really have anybody to share this kind of thing with. Oh, you have me, Billy. Please let us know what you think by finding us on Twitter at Out of Theaters or Facebook Out of Theaters. We have an Instagram account account that we'll post random stuff to, but I don't know how much traction we get out of that. I don't know. We'll respond if you if you comment on there. Will well, of course we will. The most important thing is please go to iTunes and leave us a five star review. Um, I try to read these off as they come up. I got one here from Ben. He says, think of Billy as a foil to Will, and you pretty much have the movie version of The Odd Couple. With Jack Lugman! That's right. (laughs) Billy gets a reference. The best thing about the show is when Billy challenges cinematic sacred cows with fresh modern eyes. I have modern eyes, Will. Also, I have LASIK, so they're especially sharp. Yes. (laughs) As Will tries to defend them. (laughs) But I see this podcast as a fun hangout show with a couple of pals. I thought that's a a nice review, Ben. We appreciate that. You know, I feel... I feel remiss if I didn't mention that my friend Ben, who is, this is Ben Teed, and my other friend Zach, I'm going to do a little promo here. We have our another podcast. That's right. Yes, called Pictures Within Pictures. It's, uh, it's focused on comic books. Each week or each month, 
We do one episode focusing on a specific comic book or graphic novel or work of comic book art. And then we do another episode called What You're Reading, where we each bring something to the table and talk about it. You can find Pictures Within Pictures on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. We're on Twitter, under PWP Podcast. We're on Facebook. So if you like what you hear from me, at least, (laughs) go check Pictures Within Pictures out. And in the new year... We are planning to do a crossover episode where Ben and Zach will guest star on Out of Theaters and where Billy will guest star on Pictures Within Pictures. Which is funny. I I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to I don't know how to just read a comic and be positive about well, it. I don't know. We'll find the comic. We'll find what we're gonna do, and I'm not gonna say what one because we haven't decided. We will take a comic book and then we will take the movie that it inspired. And then we'll talk about both of them on the respective podcasts. Cool. No problem at all. Um, I grew up a Green Lantern fan. so We were not going to be doing that. Well, can I, we do something to do with it at all? With like, Green Lantern? No. I think the only movie is that awful Ryan I Reynolds I, I, I don't mean the movie side. I mean the, on the comic side. No, but the comic and the movie are going to tie together. Oh. That's the uh, scheme. But but I want to do the thing with like Parallax and Hal Jordan killing everybody. Nobody. And, nobody wants that. I, really? Is that like a dumb thing now or... Yes. Oh, Will's nodding. He's embarrassed. That was a huge deal. When I was a kid, that was giant. Oh, he's cringing. Oh, no. Oh, no. I think I might have lost Ben here, too. And Zach. No, Zach, Zach and I, we got, we got music. We're good. Oh, that's right. Get Bad Religion together. That's right. All right. Leave us a review on iTunes. What are we going to review next week, William? Well, I think we spoiled that within our discussion of uh, the podcast, didn't we? I, I, technically, I could, you couldn't tell you. It's... it's all the presidents. Oh, all men. the presidents. I don't. You act like I should know what that is. I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm honestly surprised because this is a big movie. Plus, um, it came out in 1976. It that, is the true story about how the Washington Post investigated, you know, Nixon and the committee to reelect, and eventually led to Nixon resigning. Stars Robert Redford. How? Wait a minute. What year did Nixon resign? 74. This movie came out a year and a half after. I mean, it was filmed the year after he resigned. Yep. That is shocking. It is. Wow, it's, it's really good, and um, it's a uh, it's Robert Redford, it's Dustin Hoffman playing Woodward and Bernstein. You got Jack Warden, you got Martin Balsam, you have Jason Robards who plays Ben Bradley in an I believe an Oscar winning role. It's a great performance. Yeah. Plus, it takes place in a newsroom, mm. so you and I can we can talk about how this contrasts and compares with the newsrooms we spent our formative years in. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I I. I don't miss my career in journalism, but I deeply miss it. You know, like I miss the people in the atmosphere. I don't I miss. I miss the smell. I know that sounds weird, but like the inky, like, dude, it's I, I quit journalism once and then got back into it and then quit again. The, the first thing I noticed is when I stepped in the building, like that papery, sure. wet ink smell. And it like it just brought a lot of memories back that I didn't expect. Well, for this movie, um, I mean, it was filmed on sets, but they actually like got garbage from the actual Washington Post and put it so it would seem, yeah, you know, it's ve- when you see this, it's amazing. It's a set because it looks like a newsroom. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, okay. Well, that's- it's, and it's a great, it's a very entertaining sort of mystery movie too. Um, was this the one? Um, we have a listener, uh, Mike Mike Weiser. Mm-hmm. Is this the one that Mike Weiser? I think he recommended the candidate, which okay. in which Robert Redford plays a political candidate. Also a great movie. Okay. But uh, this one's uh, yeah, I'm I'm almost surprised you haven't seen it, but I think I, th- I think you're gonna like it. I I mean I know the name All the President's Men, but when you say that, it kind of makes me think of like a Harrison Ford movie. I I, I don't have a cultural reference like I a touchstone like to to put all this together for me. It was based on their book, and the and it was a uh, everyone said it was a tricky movie because one the story is insanely complicated. The whole Nixon, you know, yeah, yeah who yeah. did what and what did who. Plus, everyone 
knew the ending. So how do you make it compelling? Right. But they did. I mean, they succeeded. I'm excited to watch it. And after this recent run of movie, I mean, I've pretty much liked everything we've, yeah. we've got here outside of Cat People, which is fine. I didn't hate Cat People. And I know I only say that because you it makes you so mad. It does. But I'm kind of excited. I bet this is a good movie. I, I, I feel good like about it. it. So, it's okay. got our, it's it's got friend of the show Dustin Hoffman in it. <laughs> friend of the show. Just because that we they're in a movie we did doesn't That's mean they're as close as we can get, and I'm gonna take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you all in a couple weeks with or or a week with all the presidents men. But until next time, we'll miss you all. Most of all. Most of all? <laughs> <laughs>